1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We're, we're not doing uh, our Facebook Live streaming for today. That program will be back out on Monday. But we have a lot of stuff. A um, number of people, I always keep reminding people at the start of the show, uh, if you can't listen to all three hours, we do have this thing called a podcast. A lot of people subscribe to it. You just go to WTMJ.com, hit mobile apps, and you will be notified when the podcasts get posted every day at 3.30. I, and I, it's interesting because I can tell when people are listening because I'll get these emails. Two, three o'clock in the morning. Seriously. And I'm going, why is somebody in? But they're listening to the podcast at two or three o'clock in the morning. Either they're working third shift or they can't sleep and that mime their cure. I don't know what it is, but that's what we've got the podcast up for. Check it out. The um, hurricane, of course, Florence is making landfall. Now, the good news is the winds subsided a bit. That That's the good news. Bad news is this is still a huge storm. Already, over half a million people in North Carolina are without power because the the storm is hitting. You've got the storm surge. You've got power lines down all over. They estimate as of about 8.30 this morning, our time, over half a million people were out of power. And they think, of course, that number is going to do nothing but grow. In addition, the, the really terrible thing is not only are people out of power, but people are going to be out of power. They're saying in some cases it could take us, you know, a couple weeks before we're able to restore it because you've got some of the rural electric cooperatives. It's not just like you have to make one sort of repair. Um, to a lesser extent, it's probably exactly what happened when you were looking at Puerto Rico where you had these areas that were out of power for just you know quite a while because there the infrastructure wasn't set up to deal with it. So Hurricane Florence is a big deal, even though it, it weakened a little bit, which is good news. We will continue to keep you updated on the impact of that. But um, it's there's just, again, there's no trying to reason with the hurricane season. We've got a lot of stuff coming up on today's program. Of course, at 2.30 this afternoon, we do Pop Culture Corner. It's a fun one today. In about a half hour, I'm going to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. We are going to be talking about a number of things. If you haven't heard about this and you choose to park in downtown Milwaukee, in the very near future, prepare to pay a lot more money because they are – see, many communities have decided we want to invite you to come down and patronize our businesses, and so we're going to pull out our parking meters. Well, in the city of Milwaukee, they are doubling down. They are increasing the cost of what it takes to park in areas where you might want to actually go. And the reason they're doing it – well, yeah, I mean, the simple answer is they want more money. But the real reason they're doing it is they want more money because they have to pay for the flop. I mean the hop, Tom Barrett streetcar. So they're going to stick it to the people who want to park in downtown Milwaukee. What a great idea. All sorts of stuff coming up. But let us start off with the story that broke yesterday afternoon involving the new chief of police of Milwaukee and his decision to fire one of the officers who was involved in the Sterling Brown situation. Now, let's kind of back up and review the bidding for a minute. Everybody remembers the Sterling Brown situation. Sterling Brown is the player for the Milwaukee Bucks who was parked outside the all-night Walgreens on the near south, Walgreens on the near south side, um, taking up two disabled parking spaces. Police officer came upon him, found him, and then the, the whole thing kind of escalates. Next thing you know, you've got eight police officers there. You've got two sergeants. And 
interaction between Brown and the police officers. At some point in time, he is tasered. He is taken in. Immediately, you've got the mayor who doesn't want to get on the wrong side of the bucks. He's out there. You've got various things that come out about this. And it was, look, it was not a good example of police work. Brown has filed a lawsuit against the city of Milwaukee. I take no position as to whether his civil rights were violated to any reasonable extent and he should be entitled to any sort of payout. But the bottom line is the police, in my opinion, did not handle this as they should. What should have happened in the Sterling Brown case is, all right, you have, you know, the officer who has the initial situation. He contacts, you know, his supervisor, one of his supervisors gets on the scene. At that point in time, they should have realized what they had, which is this isn't a drug dealer. This isn't somebody who's dangerous. And as all these other police officers start to arrive, the supervisor should have said, everybody go back about their business. They should have given Brown a ticket and everybody, this should have been a 15 minute interaction in tops instead of, of what it was. So I think there's a lot of blame to go around. But it's not a situation where anybody was severely injured or anything like that. But I'm sorry, I'm not going to defend the police department. While I'm not saying that I think Brown is entitled to a huge payout on a civil rights lawsuit, I don't think this was a good example of policing. Well, here's the situation. One of the officers involved in that night has now been fired. He has not been fired because of anything he did that night when it came to dealing with Sterling Brown. What he's been fired for is violating the department's procedure on social media. And if you haven't been following the story, here's what happened. Um, the, the police department has a policy, and the policy says that, that officers or other employees are free to express themselves as private citizens on social media to the degree that their speech is not disruptive to the mission of the department, all right? They say that speech on or off duty, pursuant to somebody's official duties and professional responsibilities, it is not protected. So, in other words, what they're saying is, look, um, you know, you, you, you can go on Facebook, you know, you can go on Twitter, you can express your opinions, but if those opinions disrupt the mission of the police department you're going to be in trouble and um if if you're going to talk about you know the things that you are doing as a police officer there's going to be a different standard so anyhow here's what happened after this whole sterling brown brouhaha right this one police officer decides to again go on social media and apparently on his facebook page right Nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out loud. Hashtag fear the deer. Huh. Okay. So this is now he's on his own time. This is a personal thing. But clearly this is mocking the guy that was arrested. And some people would argue wrongfully arrested several hours earlier. Um, Then after this, a couple months later. The guy shares um, something f- about NBA star uh, Kevin Durant mocking his hair. And then after that, he then decides to go on and post, I hope J.R. Smith, another basketball player, double parks in Walgreens handicapped parking spots when he's in Milwaukee. And so the police chief says, look. I can't have this guy as an officer. And his justification, he says, look, what happened here is 
he has embarrassed himself. In the chief's opinion, there are arguably racist connotations to this. And he says, look, this police officer, part of his duty is to testify in court. And as a result of this, he has subjected himself, he's made himself open to impeachment. Any time from moving on now, let me interpret that, any time moving forward that this officer would be called upon to testify in court, particularly in cases involving where there was an arrest or situation with a person of color, he's going to be impeached on that. They're going to say, you're the guy that did this, and you're the guy that did that, and there's going to be an implication. The question's going to be raised, you know, is he telling the truth, or is he a racist or whatever? And the police chief says, look, he's compromised himself. I can't have this man as an officer. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is the chief within his rights, and did he do the right thing by firing this officer, not for the contact that night with Sterling Brown, but for what he did on the Internet afterwards? The officer has the right to appeal this to the Fire and Police Commission. Did the chief do the right thing? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the guys who have protected the backsides of Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and many others. Who are the best offensive tackles in Packers history? Text the number 100 to 414-799-1620 for a link to cast your ballot in the latest Green Bay 100 all-time team vote. Look, I, um, I, I don't countenance police officers being second-guessed about some of the job decisions that they make. It's a tough job. And sometimes what's happened, and what, in my opinion, has happened with the Milwaukee Police Department in the past, is you have had police officers who were hung out to dry by previous police chiefs who were looking to provide political cover for themselves and the mayor. I don't see this as that situation. Regardless of how you see the Sterling Brown case, whether you think Sterling Brown precipitated the contact, whether you think the police overreacted. What happens is one of the police officers decides after this situation goes down to start, number one, mocking the arrest of Sterling Brown, and then goes on to post several other, well, inflammatory, arguably inflammatory, you know, posts on social media. And the police chief says, sorry, you're you're gone, not for what you did with Sterling Brown, but for this other stuff because you have compromised yourself. And you know what? In this particular case, I think the police chief is correct. It is unfortunate, but I think the officer has essentially put himself in a trick box by thinking that this was clever and this was cute. I don't know what the guy's intent was, but the police chief is right. From now on, whenever that police officer would testify in court, he would be asked questions about these various postings and... You know, now his credibility is called into question, and you can't have that happen if you're a law enforcement officer. Mel, on the south side, you're on WTMJ. Jeff. Hi. Uh, pleasure to be on. Thank you for calling, sir. I could not be more um, in agreement with the chief. One, as an African-American chief, the, the cop made uh, those posts towards African American. Yep. Uh, it, these are the types of things that happen. I also feel that negative comments made in our police district departments about African Americans should be changed as well. Mm-hmm. We've watched TV. You you worked at it in, in, uh, 
that capacity. You know the type of comments that are made about uh, bad guys and bad guys who happen to be African-American. He talks about them like dogs. That type of behavior needs to stop. Now, he's in a tough situation where he's got to have the back of his coppers, but he has to also have the backing of his community. On this one, I give him the backing. He was absolutely right with this one, and I'm not, I wasn't as concerned about him being on the stand as the horrific comments he made about those fine African-American athletes. They hadn't done anything right, it, and it's bad just, to anyone. No, Mel, thanks for calling. You're, you're, you know, you're right, and this is a this is what we would call a self-inflicted wound. Now, I mean, I continue to believe. Remember Officer Christopher Manny? He was the guy that was involved in the Dontre Hamilton situation. I think that what former police chief Ed Flynn did to Manny was wrong. I think he 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 needed political cover, and so you, you hung Manny out to dry. Oh, he violated these procedures. All right, I think that was wrong. What happened to Manny? But but this is a different situation. This is not an officer who's being fired fired for what he did on the scene, his performance of of duty. This is an officer who decided for whatever reason he's going to go home and he's going to be clever and he's going to do this type of stuff. And the truth of the matter is some of these postings play into play into the the thoughts There are some people in this community that have very, very bad thoughts towards the Milwaukee Police Department. Oh, the police department's racist, all these things. I, by the way, don't buy that. But these are the type of postings which give fuel to that type of stuff, and it's completely and totally unnecessary. Now, look, there, there, if this, you change the facts a little bit. If this was a posting about the situation, like after the controversy. If this was an officer who had a posting saying, hey, we think the mayor is hanging us out to dry. We believe we did everything okay. All right, that that might be different. All right, that's a different sort of story. And I might even argue that something like that would be protected and that the officer shouldn't lose his job. But that's not what this is. I mean, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out loud. Hashtag fear the deer. That's mocking a citizen that you came into contact with. And and I guess maybe it's one thing if you say that with a couple of your buddies after you get off of work, when you're having breakfast or whatever. It's another thing when you post that on social media and you do embarrass the department. There's just no other way that you can play it other than this was an embarrassment for the department at a time that the department doesn't need to be embarrassed. And I I really think the chief had very, very little choice here. Eric and Racine. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great great topic. Thank you, sir. Um, I definitely believe that the chief was right in doing what he did when, um, when any company I've ever worked for, am I I'm 42 years old, so I've worked at a lot of companies. Any company ever worked for, they said, do not ever embarrass the company's name or its reputation. You can speak freely on social right. media, but don't embarrass the company. And unfortunately, this cop embarrassed the company, the Milwaukee Police Department. He added fuel to the fire right. that everyone believes that the Milwaukee Police Department is a bunch of racists. And unfortunately... That would be how he painted himself in, a, in that own light, that he's racist. And anybody that would call him up on the stands would see him as yeah. racist, and not an unbiased uh, individual. Yeah. No, I mean, thanks for calling. That, that's exactly it. And it, it, it's all self-inflicted. It, it's, you know, and it, it is why you, you cannot stress this enough, that 
years and years and years ago, if you if you decide you want to be cute or clever or whatever, or you want to talk about your boss, or you want to talk about something that happened at the job, well, all right, back when I was a kid, you you, you know, all right, or, or when I was first starting out, a couple of you go to the bar and you have a beer and maybe you say something, and it, and it stays within that little group. But the reality is, you know, when you put it on social media, it is out there for God and the world to see, and it's out there forever. And I, I also, I mean, I, I kind of like the way the police chief explained this, which is, He's really not fired because, you know, he was saying some inappropriate and critical things per se, but his credibility as a witness is shot. You know, and we need officers to be able to testify. And there is, there is a degree of validity to this. This, let me tell you, somebody who used to put police officers and FBI agents and DE agents and things like that on the stand all the time. If you have an officer who has, I don't know, been accused of wrongdoing, or has publicly embarrassed himself or whatever, and it's a case where it involves their credibility. What did they find? What did they see? Well, all right, that those background type of things may certainly be relevant. And again, as I said at the start of the segment, there's no question in my mind that any time moving forward this officer would testify um, and especially any time it was an interaction involving a person of color, you know this story would come up. Hey, you're the guy that posted these arguably racist things. Come on, you're a racist. You're trying to get my client because he's a person of color or whatever. That I'm not suggesting that's true, but I'm suggesting that that's something that would be used to impeach him. The guy hurt his credibility. It is unfortunate, but it is a self-inflicted wound. It's 227. 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Also, very glad to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Well, there's a number of things I, I've been wanting to chat with you about. Um, the let, Let's start off with the appointment of Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. There, there appears to have been some sort of Hail Mary thing, uh, Senator Feinstein claiming she's got this letter that she's sending to the FBI that might talk about something that Judge Kavanaugh did when he was in high school, as near as I can figure it out. Is this nomination going to get derailed? I don't believe so. You know, Somewhere, Ted Kennedy's looking down and smiling at the, the next generation of people that are forking a really fine man and, and you know supremely qualified. A judge, and you know that's that's the ABA's rating, you know, unanimously well qualified. That that used to be the Democrats' gold standard in these these things, but no more. So no, this this is strictly a hail mary pass. Uh, you know, they they, and this is always uh, basically honored when they've asked for a nomination to be held over the next week's business meeting. So that'll be done. But my, my guess, the Judiciary Committee will vote them out and vote him out next week, and then we'll vote him as the next uh, Supreme Court Justice the last week of September, so he can begin serving the first Monday in October, which is October 1st. The uh, A couple of your colleagues, some of the, the perceived swing votes, for example, like Senator Collins, haven't formally committed, but are you reasonably confident that the, the, the Republican bloc is going to hold here? I'm pretty confident we'll have at least 50 Republican votes, and then when that happens, the vulnerable Democrats probably file on as well, and Trying to you know save their political skins, but uh, again, I'm 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 quite confident. Uh, I haven't really seen uh, Mitch McConnell look worried at all on this one. So uh, he, this is something he's completely dedicated to, and and he's pretty good at in terms of engineering these confirmation votes. So again, I'm I'm, I'm pretty confident. 
Senator, there's an issue that you and I haven't had a chance to talk about, but I, I know it's been something that's been an interest to you, and, and that is that is drones. There, there's a there's a bipartisan effort going on in in the Senate, and and you're you're one of the leaders of this to to I don't know restrict or enhance the ability of the government to to deal with with drones. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. I was surprised when uh, we were going through the confirmation of uh, DHS Secretary Nielsen. When she told me that her top priority was to be was to get DHS the authorization to be able to counter malign use of drones. Right, right now, law enforcement the, the only government agencies that have any ability, any authorization to counter malign use of drones, the Department of Defense over some of their installations, the Department of Energy over some of their installations. But in terms of sporting events or large gatherings, there's not one law enforcement agency that has any authority. To, for example, knock down a, a, a malign use of a drone, much less study how to do it. So th- this, to me, is a very, very table stakes issue, and it's frustrating how you know it's still it's not passed. We tried uh, uh, attaching our, our piece of legislation that would give DHS the, the authority to do these things uh, in the last uh, National Defense Authorization Act. We were unable to do it, but now we're hoping to attach to the FAA bill. So, I mean, it's almost, when I, as I was reading about this, it's almost mind-boggling to me. So if there's a, an unknown, for example, drone flying over a, a football stadium on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, there, there's there's no legal authority to essentially take it out unless unless it's some very limited circumstances, right? Uh, no, there is no there is no authority to take it out. Wow. The, the, sky, the skies are, are regulated by the FAA. And I'm sorry, FAA, you haven't done very much along these lines. Again, it is complex. We need to be careful about uh, countermeasures that could affect uh, legitimate uh, flight. But, uh, no, right, right now nobody has the authority. And, again, they don't even have the authority to study how to do it. So this is, this is a pretty absurd uh, position we're in right now. And people don't realize that, of course, as these drones get more and more sophisticated, I, in many respects, hate talking about it. I don't want to give people ideas. but they do represent a real threat. Senator, let's talk a little bit about the the ongoing drama involving the the special counsel and the continuing investigation. The reports today are, of course, of former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, who was convicted a while back, now cutting a deal. And it, it, at some point in time, does the Mueller investigation need to come to an end? Well, from my standpoint, to the sooner the better. Uh, I was pretty vocal just saying that it was too soon to even appoint a special counsel. I would have much rather had congressional committees exercise our oversight authority, get access to all the information. Uh, the problem with special counsel is now you have an active criminal investigation, and so the agencies have a good excuse not to turn it over to Congress. And Congress, of course, is, is the body that makes this information public, and the public has a right to know. So, you know, it's been more than 18 months, we still haven't come to a conclusion here. You know, Paul Manafort, uh, I don't think he's being uh, convicted or, or, or you know, basically uh, agreeing that he's guilty on anything having to do with Russian collusion. And the more, the more piece of the puzzle that we're filling in on this thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, the more and more it's looking like there's been some real corruption inside the FBI, the Department of Justice, uh, potentially setting up this uh, president to... Uh, now, and, and probably the best example is if you compare how the FBI handled a, a what ended up being a, a Chinese spy in Diane Feinstein's office. They went to her directly and discreetly so she could take care of it. That's not what they did when they suspected 
potential Russian influence in the Trump campaign. They, they should have gone to him, warned him of it, so he could have taken care of it. But no, they put an informant in his campaign. And it looks like uh, select leaks through this, by the CIA and the FBI to keep this story going. You know, we don't know the full extent of this, but it, it's looking pretty rotten. Um, Senator, we've talked in the past about the, the, the tariffs, and, and I know you're not a fan of tariffs. Um, since we've talked last, there appears to be some breakthroughs, at least some agreements that are being made, one with Mexico, etc. cetera. Uh, do, do you think we're starting to get a handle on this, making a trade war with at least various countries less less likely to occur? I hope so. And I, I've sat down and met with Peter Navarro for over an hour a couple of weeks ago and, and other representatives of the White House. I think they do understand that the, the time is running out. Uh, listen, there's no doubt about the fact that uh, America has been very generous in terms of making our markets available to our, our friends and allies, even some of our foes, and they've taken advantage of it. So President Trump is trying to shock the system. Um, he needs to understand that uh, there's some real damage being done. And that's really been my role is just uh, talking about the micro damage they're trying to pursue this macro goal, which I agree with. Uh, making trade fair and fully reciprocal. But uh, the time's running out. A lot of this damage uh, could be permanent if we don't uh, conclude these trade deals as quickly as possible. Senator, let's talk for a minute. I, I've actually I've been working my way through the Bob Woodward book. And I won't even ask you if, you, if you've read it, but I've, I've been working my way through it. And, and a number of there, there's several sections that are devoted towards, again, national security and, and dealing, for example, with the complicated issues in the Middle East and trying to figure out what you do with Afghanistan. Do you believe the world is becoming a safer or more dangerous place? Uh, I would say it's, it's more unsettled than at any point in time in my lifetime. But, uh, again, that's, that, that is beginning with the uh, uh, 9-11, quite honestly, in Islamist terror. And it's an extremely difficult issue to deal with. And it was not helpful over the eight years of the Obama administration as we withdrew from the world, withdrew prematurely from Iraq and allowed uh, ISIS to rise from the ashes of al-Qaeda in Iraq. Um, so the bottom line is we need to stop hollowing out our military. We need to rebuild it. We're doing that under the Trump administration. We need to address these real threats with strength and resolve, Russia, North Korea, China. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're, we're tempted to do that. But, no, the, the, the world is a very unsettled place right now. One, one of the points I've been trying to make is to, so we, we begin with it, a better attitude in terms of how to, for example, address Russian aggression. NATO or the EU, no matter how you put together this alliance, we have a, a combined economic uh, muscle of over $30 trillion. Russia is less than $2 trillion. They're puny in comparison to the West, and yet the West is allowing Russia to push us around. That is ridiculous. So we need to understand how strong we really are and respond to Russia with all of our strength. Senator, let me ask you to put on your, your political hat. I mean, obviously, you're not up for re-election in a couple months. The And, and I, I am. I think a lot of people are somewhat skeptical of polls. But it, it, it appears that a number of Republicans, not only in Wisconsin, but across the country, are, are running, facing a headwind. If you were going to craft just an overall message for Republicans either running for Congress or running for the, the Senate, a, a message that you would like to see them or you think that they should be bringing forth over the course of the next couple months, what, what would that message be? Well, it's really very similar to James Carville's message, and if he was even partially correct. 
we ought to win. It really is the economy, and look at the success we've had. Look at Wisconsin. Scott Walker and the craziest men and women of our legislature have turned the state around. A very welcoming environment now for business investment. So as a result, we have 2.9% unemployment. They held tuition steady. Property tax rates have declined. But there's not one business, I think, in the state of Wisconsin can hire enough people. That's a tremendous success. And, of course, nationally, we stopped adding to the regulatory burden. We actually reduced it somewhat. We have a more competitive tax system. That brought certainty and optimism to our national economy. And look at the results. You know, in, 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 so many, in so many areas, we really have record levels of low unemployment in places like the black community and, and Hispanics. Uh, it's just a, an astonishing success, an astonishing turnaround from Democrats administrations, whether it's the Doyle administration to now the Obama administration, we've we've turned the economy around and people have to look at that. Do you continue to maintain a good relationship with the president? I I know you've talked about that in the past. Yeah, I mean, just like President Obama, I I, I didn't agree with President Obama, but I wanted to see him succeed in keeping the station safe, secure, and prosperous with, with greater opportunities. So I'm trying to do the same thing working with the Trump administration as well. My own my own contact with President Trump, I've always found him engaging, gracious. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, I, I've enjoyed my time around President Trump, and I'm trying to do everything I can to help him succeed uh, from a standpoint of foreign policy as well as domestically. Senator Johnson, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I hope to have a chance to talk to you in the very near future. Have a great day. Take care. That's, uh, of course, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. You know, one of the one of the things that I, I think Senator Johnson deserves an eminent amount of credit for is some people go to Washington or go to Madison because they, they want to they just want to be there. They want to get elected. They want to have senator in front of their name or congressman in front of their name or whatever. Then you have people like Ron Johnson who go to, in this case, Washington, because they want to get things done. Senator Johnson hit the ground running a number of years ago after he was first elected, and he wasn't going to be a backbencher. And I'll tell you this, he made waves from time to time, you know, when he hit D.C. And he asked, I think, some uncomfortable questions that some of the Republican leaders didn't necessarily want to have asked. But he did it because he didn't want to just go and kill time and collect a paycheck. And he has kept that up through the last several years, kind of calling them as he sees them. And it's good and interesting to talk to him about this drone issue because, it, I mean, there's just there's no rules. So you can have drones, for example, and it might sound kind of odd. What are you talking about this? But you, you can have, I mean, think about the potential for terrorist activity when you have these drones flying over football fields or, or whatever. It's what do you do with them? And Senator Johnson's, I mean, trying to take the initiative to try to um, restrict these and let's set the rules as to what you can do and what law enforcement can do to make us all safer. So that's Ron Johnson, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. And I appreciate him taking some time with me this afternoon. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, or liberal or conservative. If you're a crook, you're a crook. And Paul Manafort is a crook. Back in back in August, some of the most inexplicable comments coming from President Trump were when Manafort was on trial in Virginia. While the jury was out, he's telling the reporters that hey, he thinks Manafort's a good guy. He thinks the investigation is a witch hunt. He goes on to, to tweet about things like this. It's shameful. It's disgraceful that he's on trial. And to me, it was just absolutely mind-boggling because... 
Paul Manafort is a crook. For people who, who weren't following this, Manafort was the, was President Trump's campaign chairman for a, a period of time, brief period of time. I don't get the idea that they were particularly close. They weren't buddies over the years. But for several years before Manafort was involved with the campaign, long story short, he was, he ran this, this operation, this consulting operation. He was getting a whole bunch of money from, um, somebody out of the Ukraine to, you know, give consulting advice and things like that. He hid the money. He did not pay taxes on all the money. It, it's, it's that simple. He's really, you can get caught up in the weeds, but the truth is he's a tax cheat. And he didn't pay money on the taxes. And then what he did is when that that business kind of dried up to maintain his lifestyle, he falsified documents, which was submitted to a bank or banks in order to, you know, keep money rolling in. It's look, it's on a high level and there's a lot of money involved. But at the end of the day, he's a tax cheat and a money launderer, period. Why the president feels compelled to describe him as a great guy and as a witch hunt and things like that continues to be absolutely beyond me because the truth of the matter is all this stuff that Manafort did was before he was associated with Trump and the Trump campaign and anything like that. But but Manafort is a crook, pure and simple. So Manafort gets convicted in Virginia. He would have been convicted, I think, on all counts, except there was one juror who decided to hold out. He was scheduled to go to trial on similar sort of charges in Washington, D.C. And the news is he's cut a deal and he's going to essentially drop his appeal of the Virginia case. He's going to plead guilty to charges related to the Washington case and and he's going to cooperate. And this is with the headlines. Former Trump campaign chief agrees to cooperate with special counsel. Robert Mueller pleads guilty to conspiracy charges. That that's the that's the big story that's out there. And so now the Trump beat all weekend is going to be what does this mean for President Trump? And is this the smoking gun? He's going to have all this information. Let me give you my quick assessment of this. This isn't going to mean anything for for President Trump. I don't think there's anything to suggest that Manafort has information that indicates, you know, a conspiracy with Russians to try to impact the election. If he had information like that, it would have come out a long time ago. So Manafort's going to sit. He's going to do interviews. I don't think it's going to end up going anywhere. And the bottom line is he's still going to be going to prison for a number of years. Today's today's news, I think, is kind of, okay, it's a headline, but it's kind of a nothing burger because if I think if Manafort had anything to sell, he would have been selling it a long time ago. And again, the stuff that Manafort did was way before he was involved with, with Trump. That's just kind of the bottom line of it. It does, like I say, though, again, raise eyebrows as to, you know, what was President Trump when he was running for office? What were you doing associating with a guy like Paul Manafort? And this idea that Manafort's a good guy and it's a witch hunt. No, th- this wasn't a witch hunt. It was a what we would describe as a mine-run tax fraud. Now, again, it was a little bit tougher to nail down because it involved offshore accounts and it involved money that was coming from another part of the world, so it was tougher to find. But at the end of the day, I mean, he, he did what so many, again, tax cheats do, didn't report all the income he had, and then took steps to you know falsify records to try to disclose it. Whatever happens to Paul Manafort, he, he deserves. The fact that Paul Manafort is now going to cooperate with Robert Mueller, 
I, again, I, I think for people who say, oh, man, we're looking for that smoking gun to prove Russian collusion, I, I, I tell you to kind of like dial it back a couple steps because I don't think that's going to happen. I do think if the president's going to learn anything about this, though, it's maybe when, when you have former associates or people who are on trial for doing really serious stuff, maybe you want to think twice before you tweet out what a great person they are and how the investigation or the prosecution is a witch hunt because regardless of what you think of the Mueller investigation into President Trump in the case of investigating Paul Manafort Manafort was a crook pure and simple all right it is 1257 when we come back if you are going to downtown Milwaukee and you want to park on the public streets get ready Tom Barrett is going to reach into your pocket He's going to generate millions more of revenue so he can pay for the flop. I mean the hop, the streetcar. I'll tell you all about it, and we'll discuss in just a couple minutes. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric Bilstead, let me ask you a question. Okay. Your wife works outside the home, right? Yes. All right. So let us construct a scenario. You are a get. There's a work function for your wife's employer. Okay. And so you're, it, it's a dinner, let's say. Right. So you are accompanying your wife and spouses are invited. So you and your wife are sitting at this table. It's a round table. There's maybe like, I, I don't know, there's other employees from your wife's from your wife's business there, you know, couples. Maybe there's a couple single females or an intern or something like that. Okay. All right. If sometime in the course of that dinner, you got caught playing footsie with one of the, the interns, all right. I, how would your wife react? I don't think that would go over very well. You don't to the point that you to the point that you would be I don't know probably sleeping with your eyes yeah. open for the rest of your life, right? Yes. Right. Things would definitely be different. Things would be different. Okay, my producer Gru. Gru. All right, Mrs. Gru. I know she works outside the home. The two of you, you're you're invited to a work function. All right, and you're sitting around that table. And all right, there's there's the two of you, and there's all sorts of people, including maybe a couple interns and stuff. And and you got caught playing footsie with one of the female interns while you're while Mrs. Grew is sitting at the table. All right, how would that go over? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what you. He, he says I probably thought it was her foot. Yeah, right, because because otherwise you know that it would be trouble, right? All right, now I bring this up. Because during Eric's newscast, this is this is precisely you want to talk about a weird world. This is precisely what happened at UW Whitewater, and the Journal Sentinel has to their credit an exclusive up on JS Online about this. It is mind boggling. And the other thing that's mind boggling is this apparently that they were able to keep this hidden for for months. I mean, here here's the story. It's by Karen Herzog. Again, it's a JS Online, it is their exclusive. UW Whitewater Chancellor's husband banned from campus after sexual harassment investigation. The husband of University of Wisconsin Whitewater Chancellor Beverly Beverly Copper has been banned from campus and stripped of an honorary unpaid position after an investigation concluded he sexually harassed female employees, according to records obtained um, by the Journal Sentinel. Um, in his, he's he's the husband. And he had an honorary appointment as associate to the chancellor. And that, that's, he gets, it's an honorary, it's unpaid appointment, but he was frequently asked to participate in fundraising and he'd show up at alumni and athletic functions. It's a ceremonial capacity. You know, he's, he's the chancellor's 
husband. All right. Some of the allegations involve behavior that allegedly occurred at the official chancellor's residence. In one incident, a female employee alleged that Hill repeatedly squeezed her knee under a tablecloth covered table at which his wife was seated nearby. I don't even there, there's there's stuff that you, you read about and you just don't even know what to say. OK, where was um, early Wednesday night? Wednesday night, my wife and I are are at this event. We're doing a charity. We're involved in a charity event for an organization called Roots and Branches, which does beautification in West Bend. All right. So we we are at the table. You know, with a, a number of sort of friends and colleagues who are sitting around. I'm trying to picture, gee, I decide that I'm going to squeeze one of the other women's knees while my wife is sitting next to me. Now, first of all, I would never do that, period. But even if you were somebody that was inclined to do that, you're doing it while your wife, who happens to be the chancellor, is sitting next to you? It's a messed up world. Three women formally lodged complaints. One was investigated by an independent investigator hired by UW. Those allegations were not substantiated. He was directed to take sexual harassment training at the time. When the second complaint was lodged last year, UW System did its own investigation. Another woman came forward after the second woman filed her formal complaint. The allegations against him date back to 2015. One accuser said during the investigation she feared if she reported his sexual advances, he would be uh, he would lie about her work performance to the chancellor and she would believe him, which is always um, that's uh, of course, that's always the, the problem you have when you have just even when you have a supervisor that gets into a romantic relationship or something like that or hits on, you know, one of the subordinates, there's always that. And this is, of course, even weirder than that. In one incident earlier this year, this is, again, the Journal Sentinel's exclusive. You can check it out on JS Online. In one incident earlier this year, the chancellor and her husband were seated at a table at an event, and the woman was sitting between them. She reported to the investigator that not less than three times, Mr. Hill grabbed her knee under the table and tablecloth. In reference to ongoing work matters under discussion, he made some type of conversational point like, I can help you with that, squeezing her knee each time. She reported that the chancellor could not have known it was happening because she was sitting on the other side of the woman who told investigators she left early because she felt uncomfortable, etc., etc., etc. There's some suggestions that you know one of the women involved might have been a student or something like that. But it's just... I. It's again, you, you, you read some of these stories and you, my, my first reaction is say what? I mean, really? I mean, it's you, you, you did what? And, and your wife was where? And this was what? And again, I mean, this, this apparently that the letter that they sent, um, was June. So Whitewater has managed to not disclose this to the public. Apparently, somebody must have tipped off the Journal Sentinel and they made requests and ultimately got the information. Great for them. But, I mean, this happened apparently in early June. So June, July, August, September. They were able to keep this under wraps for several months that you've got the the chancellor's husband who has been banned from campus because of what he is doing. All you alumni of Wisconsin, UW-Wisconsin, Whitewater must be just popping your buttons on this. I mean, geez, I just, I wish I had something more profound to say other than, it's a heck of a world. All right, when we come back, Tom Barrett is about ready to stick it to you, along with the blessing of the Common Council, when it comes to parking in his city. And he wants you to say thank you. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Stick around. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, a pair of unbeaten teams. But there's only been one game this year. But a pair of unbeaten teams meet at Lambeau Field this Sunday. Who will come out on top? Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins Gene Miller to break down the Packers-Vikings game. That's 7.51 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Going to be a great Wisconsin sports weekend. You know, you got the Brewers that are home against Pittsburgh. They are a game and a half behind the Cubs. But I think three games ahead for the top spot in the wild card position. But the Cubs can be caught. No question about it. I watched on Major League Baseball Network yesterday their game against Washington. And they... Um, they ended up pulling it out, uh, but then have to fly back to Chicago to play the Reds. I, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting couple weeks. And then, of course, you've got the Packers, you've got the Badgers. Oh, great sports time. All right, check it out. 751 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay. The, the, I, I am amazed at the way Tom Barrett and some of the people who suck up to him are trying to portray this. Demand-based parking. That's what they are calling it. And they're saying, hey, this, 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 is, this is just a great thing. We're looking out for you. All right, so here is what they are about to do. First of all, in downtown Milwaukee, they're raising the rates for parking meters. Right, and right now, they, they generate about $5 million in, in revenue. So they're raising the rate for parking meters. The hourly rates, um, they have three base hourly rates, um, $0.50, cents, $1, and $1.50. They're now going to go to seventy-five cents, a dollar and a quarter, and two dollars. So, th- depending on on where you are and how much, how long you park. So, they're going to raise the rates all across the board, and they say simply by raising the rates, you're going to generate an extra one point nine million dollars annually. All right. Then, what they're going to do is they're going to increase when you have to put money in the meter. Like for example, right now. If you go downtown, if you want to park downtown, the meters are generally 8 until 6, 8 in the morning till 6 at night, okay? Figuring, okay, most of the workers leave down, down what downtown after that. Now what they're going to do is they're going to extend the meters till 9 o'clock. So you're going to have to put money, you're going to have to feed the meters for another three hours. And by the way, everybody knows what happens with the parking checkers in Milwaukee. You, you know, you, you're five minutes late getting back to your car. Be prepared to get a ticket. So they're increasing the rates. They are extending the time. And by the way, most meters you don't have to feed on Saturdays. They're changing that. So Saturday, you're also going to have to feed the meters. And the final tier of the plan, and, and again, I, I love the way they're presenting it. This plan, this is going to be great, and, and this could produce a, a great public benefit, is that what they are doing is in areas around the Bucks Arena, for example, they are going to jack up the, the parking rates they call it demand-based parking for example like the 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 brewers do that if the cubs here if the cubs are in for a weekend they charge more for a ticket than they do if it's the colorado rockies in april all right they they do it's demand-based pricing they are now going to go to demand-based pricing for parking meters the city will increase parking rates during periods of high demand on metered spaces within a five-minute walk of the attraction. So if there's a Marquette's playing downtown or the Bucks are playing or there's something going on, what they're going to do is they will charge blanket fees. They'll, the rates are going to be capped at $5 an hour. So if you want to you find a meter within a five-minute walk of the attraction. And I'm using the Bucks Arena as an example, but it's not necessarily going to be limited to that. It's going to be five bucks an hour, demand-responsive pricing. 
Now, as I said earlier, they already generate about $5 million before already doing this in metered parking. They estimate that, again, by, by doing this, they're going to generate another several million dollars by racking up, by again, by all these different types of things. So what are they going to be doing with this money? Well, first, they're going to use the money to pay for the new parking meters they're putting in. That's number one. And number two, they are going to use this revenue from the parking meters to pay for the streetcar operations. Keep in mind that that the, the way you're going to do this is that so they, they use the parking fund to support other city operations. And what they're going to do is they're going to take this added money and they are going to pay for the operations of the streetcar and the cost of the new meters. So parking at parking meters is going to be going up relatively dramatically, especially if you want to park at a meter near an attraction when something is going on, five bucks an hour. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reason we are doing this, again, largely to pay for the operating costs of the streetcar. Your reaction, is this going to be a good thing? People involved at the city are spinning, oh, this is great, we're going to be getting this money in, it's going to be demand-based, this is going to be great for consumers. All I hear is massive parking increases in the costs, substantial parking increases when it comes to being near areas where people want to go when there's stuff going on that they want to do, and now if you go down there after work, you're still going to have to feed a meter um, till 9 o'clock at night, and if you go down somewhere on a Saturday, you're going to have to feed the meter. All right, is this very consumer-friendly? Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Hi, Dave. Uh, well, this is the definition of counterproductive, number one, because, A, there's always been issues with uh, the parking rates down there as far as the, you know, the, the right. parking Nazis or whatever. I mean, they're, they're sitting there waiting there. Literally right, the, 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 the parking checkers, the, the chicken yeah, hawk the meters. and right right. Yeah, they'll stand right there. But, you know, this is going to be a huge boost for, um, honestly, like Uber and Lyft. I mean, it's kind of like, good. I'll go further out. Just, it's, right. it's cheaper for me to, you know, right. or, or, 10 bucks. Right. Or the par- or the people that own the parking lots downtown, you know, because now maybe there's there's more incentive to do that because people aren't going to aren't going to pay. But you know what I think the biggest problem is the, the biggest problem, I think, Dave, is that you're just going to have people. But let's forget about the, the, the Bucks games for a minute. You're just going to have people that are going to say, you know what? I, I was thinking about going down Saturday afternoon and maybe going to one of these bars, but I don't want to feed a meter on Saturday afternoons well, just for the that. privilege of at, going in. Yeah, At two bucks an hour, you know, or whatever, it's kind of like, wait a second here now. All of a sudden, I'm just going to be two hours of like an extra four bucks. Right. It's like it used to be where Saturdays and stuff would be free anyway. Yeah, You know exactly. Six, I think after six, what was it? Usually, a lot of them. No, six. right, right, and they're going to extend it to nine o'clock. So now, yeah, so, so now, if you want to, if you would want to go down, let's say you want to go to one of the great restaurants uh, downtown after work on the evening. 
Now you're going to have to feed the meter and worry about, you know, gee, do, am I going to be here for an hour? Am I going to be here for two hours? When the truth of the matter is most people are clearing out of downtown anyways. You know, if Tom Barrett would could come up with a different way to make it more difficult to come down and enjoy down, downtown, I don't think he could come up with one. But that's what we're doing now. You know, the scary part is, is they're, if they're trying to direct this towards the operating costs, which they have no idea what it's going to be, and it's going to be subsidized for the first, whatever, I think, first right. year whatever. I mean, where's it going to come from after that? Well, that's, I mean, thank, thanks for calling. Again, it, it's free ridership, be, thanks to Potawatomi for, I, I forget whether it's first year or two years. I, I don't know. Look, I, I like downtown. I like going downtown, but parking is always one of the detriments. One of the nice things about being able to go downtown in the evenings when a lot of people are clearing out is that you didn't have to, you could always, you could almost always find a, a space on the street. You could park there. You wouldn't have to worry about feeding the meter. If you wanted to go down on a Saturday afternoon, you could do that. Um, this is changing now. 414-799-1620. And it's changing because they need millions of dollars to pay for the operation of the streetcar. All right. Is this going to be a net gain for the city? We continue the conversation in a minute. It's 128 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Parking rates are going up dramatically in downtown Milwaukee. They call it demand-based pricing. If you want to park near the Bucks Arena or any other attraction, they're going to charge you a flat fee of up to $5 an hour, and they're using the money to pay operating costs for the streetcar. Jeff in Bayview. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I think, uh, not only just that situation is horrible, but here's something that uh, you haven't even mentioned. So I'm not going to the Bucks game. I'm stopping at a restaurant, and uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. be sitting there for quite a while. Meanwhile, that that's going to throw 20 bucks on my parking. Say I'm there for three, four hours, or I'm going down to a, uh, mm-hmm. a birthday party or something like that, and I, you know, I'm going to be there. Who yep. wants to spend 20 bucks extra for a meal and say I go to one of the nicer restaurants down yeah. there? You're right there. You're you're not only uh, yeah. unfairly charging me for parking, I'm not, even par- I'm not even at the event that you're charging me for. Right, right. exactly. So how are people going to react, Jeff? They're simply not going to go, right? I oh, mean, ab- Absolutely. That's going to hurt some of these business down there, and it's going to hurt the restaurants. And I live, you know, uh, out in West Bend as it is, I'm just working out in Bayview right now. Um, realistically, I wouldn't go downtown uh, during mm-hmm. during one of the sporting events just for the simple fact that if I did have to hit a meter, yeah, that's like absolutely ridiculous. Right. I'm not spending fifteen twenty bucks to park sitting there to go eat eat for right. an hour or hour two or whatever. No, exactly. No, thanks to culture and seeing that that's exactly what's going on. So. Will this be good for the parking garages? Yeah, or the parking lots that are down there. A lot of us who drive by and say, "Oh gosh, they're, they're really they're charging twenty or twenty five dollars to park for you know Marquette game or something." These people should you know like have masks on for goodness sake and be carrying guns at such robbery. But at least sometimes you could find spaces on the on the street. Well, now that's all going to change because the city has decided they're going to take that money as well. Thank you, Tom Barrett. And I love the way some of the people in the city are spinning this. Oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be demand-based. Well, what this is is a way to raise more money from people, get into your pockets, because they need it to pay for the flop. 
137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. The We Love Wisconsin Tour makes its ways to seven seas in Heartland. John McHugh shares the sights, the sounds, and the stories. Be sure to tune in. He starts at 3 o'clock, as always, on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay. Now, there, there is this sort of irony here, because as Tom Barrett has decided to stick it to anybody who might choose to visit downtown Milwaukee, we're going to increase the parking rates. We're going to go to surge-based pricing, which means if you're near any place where you might really want to go, where there's an attraction, for, forget about the regular feeding the meters. We're going to make it a lot more per hour. And if you get one of those parking tickets, just look out because they hit you for that as well. We're going to increase the time. If you want to go down to have dinner, all right, well, now you're going to have to feed the meters, all that stuff. And they have to do it because of the failing streetcar system that's not even operating yet and it's already causing a bunch of problems. And they want to thank you. They want you to thank us, thank them for increasing the rates. But you will know that even though there, there's increase in parking, you will be glad to know that Milwaukee County continues to provide free bus rides. All you have to do is say, I don't want to pay. Now, we talked about this a couple days ago, and I guess I I didn't know this at at the time. Milwaukee County buses, and and by the way, if you are low income, there are all sorts of things you can do to ride the bus for a very, very reasonable rate. You know, there might be a hoop or two you have to jump through, but there's all sorts of things you can do. But the standard bus fare is two and a quarter. Now, I I don't know. I'm kind of old school. If you didn't hear this segment, we did it a couple days ago. When I go into the grocery store and I, I put all my groceries out on the little conveyor belt and they go through and the guy or gal checks them up and they ask you if you want paper or plastic. And then at the end, they say, um, all right, sir, that's going to be forty two fifty. If I say, huh. I don't have forty two fifty. I'm not paying. Well, they're not going to be giving me my groceries. That that's just kind of the way it is. If you go to a movie theater and you decide you want to see the the latest movie that's out, and you go up and you say, "Hey, I'd, I'd like a ticket," and the ticket taker says, "Okay," they punch it out. Then he says, "Okay, that's going to be eight fifty or whatever it costs nowadays." And you say, "Well, I don't have eight fifty. You're not going to the movie, right?" It, it's just kind of that simple. Well, Milwaukee County is one of, and there, I'm trying to get a handle on how many other major bus lines operate like this, and I don't think there's too many. Milwaukee County has a policy where if somebody gets on the bus and doesn't pay the fare, the bus driver is allowed to ask them once for the fare. Um, you, you need to pay two and a quarter. If the person refuses, what happens? They just get on the bus and they ride. They get on the bus and they ride for free, and nobody does anything about this. Now, I understand there is a certain percentage of people who, who might not have exact change. You get on the bus and you've got $2, but you don't have the extra quarter. I, I'm not arguing that that's a big deal. That's sort of like, gee, I don't quite have the correct change here. We'll take a penny out of the jar. I, I get that. But but there is a, a segment of people who just refuse or do not pay and the bus drivers aren't allowed to, uh, again, do anything about it. The person just gets to ride for free. Now, the bus company, and, and we had a spokesperson on, you know, and, and I understand they're, they're sympathetic. They got two points. They said, first of all, you know, we don't want our bus drivers getting involved in confrontations with the deadbeats. And I'm, again, when I say the deadbeats, 
I'm not talking about the person that doesn't have the, the, the quarter. I'm talking about the person who doesn't intend to pay for the ride and understands that the system allows them to do that. So number one, they say, we don't want to get in, you know, into a confrontation. And then they say, number two, we don't want to delay the bus. Because what about all the other people that are on the bus? If you have the bus driver getting into a confrontation with the person who's not going to pay, well, it's going to make everybody else late, and they're going to get hacked off, and they'll be less likely to ride the bus. I'm somewhat sympathetic to that, but in in many urban areas, they they don't have this, you get to ride for free if you don't want to pay. What they do is precisely that. They say, okay, the bus isn't moving until the person either gets off or pays, and they call security. Now, my answer to this was... All right, you've got these security people that are there, and, and they are losing a whole. They're losing you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Bring on some security people. Identify the bus routes where this happens the most, because my guess is there's some routes it doesn't happen at all, and there's some routes it happens a lot. Put security people on the bus when somebody gets on the bus and refuses to pay. That security person is then charged with escorting the person off, and the person refuses to get off. You then call the police, and it, and it goes from there. But you got to do something to stop these free riders. Anyhow, I bring this up because the follow-up to this is that the Milwaukee County Board, which is a clown car act and dysfunctional in the extreme, a committee was considering an ordinance which would have dealt with this and said, okay, we, we, we just can't allow these free rides. By a vote of three to two, uh, members of the county board decided, nope, we're just going to let this happen. So. No change. Yes, there is. I don't know if there's a free lunch, but there is definitely free bus rides. And if you simply refuse to pay, decline to pay, gee, I don't feel like doing this today, you get to ride the bus for free. Now, of course, the bus operatives say, well, this is only a small part. Yes, we're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it's not that much in the overall scheme of things. Well, as word gets out that this is the policy, Don't be surprised if this increases dramatically. But more importantly, what does this say for everybody who pays? I guess it essentially says that you are a sucker because if somebody else comes along and decides not to pay, there's not going to be any problem. How how can you have these double standards, these restaurants that say, here, pay what you want? They always go under. They, They just always go under. It is a model that does not work. And whenever the bus company talks about problems, now that we know that there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that they lose on a year yearly basis for allowing people to ride for free, I think that's a huge issue. My guess would be hire some more security people, use some of that money that you might now be able to collect, don't delay the routes, but don't play everybody who pays as a chump. County board doesn't want to do that because they don't want to criminalize people who don't have the money to ride the bus So they'd rather provide it for free. Well, what about the people that have the money to ride and just choose not to? Wow. Milwaukee County at work once again. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers return home for a weekend series with the Pirates. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, is behind the microphone as the hunt for Brew October continues. Our Brewers game day coverage starts tonight at 635. We're going to lighten it up a little bit in the 2 o'clock hour, but before that. Look, I understand that what's the cliche? Politics politics isn't beanbag, and and I understand that. Especially now, you have this supercharged and superheated environment, and and everything is a life or death struggle. 
the uh, we and we talked in the last hour of the program with Senator Ron Johnson, and he is confident that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed as the new justice on the United States Supreme Court. I, I think it, it. If you look at Brett Kavanaugh's record, and I keep saying this to to people, it, this is a mainstream conservative justice, and there, there's no question about it. The guy, he's just. I mean, you check off the different lists of the the thing. If you were going to go to Central Casting and try to find somebody to be a justice on the Supreme Court, this this is the guy. He's got 13 years on the very high appellate court, so he's got a track record with that. He you know worked in government, he worked in private practice. I mean, he really is the guy that's out of Central Casting. Now, the problem the Democrats have is they've got the resistance part of their base that is just inflamed. We've got to stop any Trump nominee from getting onto the bench. This is going to be terrible. And so that's why you hear that the stuff that, frankly, is crazy. Oh, we're going to have thousands of women that die if Brett Kavanaugh gets on the bench. Oh, really? Come on. I mean, at, at some point in time, you want to say to people, just just dial it back. Oh, you know, you're going to have, you know, people who are in this, immigrants are going to be, you know, sent out of the country. It's just It's just it's this craziness and it's hysteria that's out there. Well, you had the confirmation hearings last week. He came through unscathed and it's going to go to a committee vote next week. And then by the end of the month, you'll have him confirmed. But so now we're at the the Hail Mary stage. And I understand that desperate people do desperate things. But still, at some point in time, what's the phrase that they use during the McCarthy hearings? You know, have you no sense of decency? Here's the latest thing that happened. Now, Dianne Feinstein, who is the very, very liberal senator from California who has been there forever, and she's the senior Democrat on on this committee, she announced yesterday that she had received information from an individual concerning the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, and she had referred it to investigative authorities. She said the person providing the information which she did not specify, had requested confidentiality and did not want to come forward and make any sort of of claims. Now, apparently also Feinstein got this letter in, in July, but decided that she was going to keep it until now. And so the argument is, well, now we've got this secret thing, this, this letter that's come out, and it, it raises questions about uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and we're going to send it to the FBI. So now what we need to do is we need to delay any vote until the FBI can decide whether or not, you know, they want to take action on it. Now, of course, Judge Kavanaugh has been in public life for years. He's been the subject of an extensive FBI vetting. And so the question is, really, I mean, this is what's going to do. But it gets worse than that, because as inevitably happens in Washington, there are leaks. So this super secret, these allegations, um, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal. Apparently, the leaks are coming out. The... um, a person familiar with the matter, so this would be some Democrat, um, confirmed that the letter was referred to the Federal Bureau of Investigation to be included as part of the file. The letter apparently relates to a potential claim of sexual abuse when he was a teenager. All right, and this ties back, apparently this was part of like an organized effort, because there was a senator from Hawaii who apparently asked him whether if as a legal adult he had ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature. 
Now, I, I don't know what this allegation is, and whoever's making it doesn't want to come forward, doesn't want to stand by it. But my, my guess is, okay, you're a senior in high school. Grew, think this through. You're 18 years old. Now, that's 35 years ago. And as somebody that says, you know, we were out on a date or, or something like that, and he he asked me to get in the back seat of the car or something like that. I mean, this this is what we're talking about, and this is how crazy this stuff has gotten. Apparently, this is something, and there's no criminal charges, no discipline or ever, but they claim to have some claim by somebody, presumably, like I say, when he was in high school, that, you know, he said or did something inappropriately in, in high school. Really? This is what it has come to, and I don't know what the merits are of this are one way or the other, but seriously, this is where we are now. Will character assassination never stop? I mean, and if people wonder why, people wonder why good people are turned off to participating in the process. It, it's stuff like this. Gee, you know, you'd make an outstanding judge, but, you know, we're, we're going to ask you whether 45 years ago, I don't know, did you ever park and look at the submarine races, huh? Did you ever do that 45 years ago? And you might say, why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because, you know, there'll be people that are out to get you. I, again, I, I think Judge Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. I don't think there's going to be a problem. But this this is despicable. I mean, seriously, if there's information indicating this guy is a sexual predator or something, um, all right, bring it forward. Let, let's let's go with it. But, gee, maybe you did something when you were in high school, because that's what I, the legal adult. So I'm thinking, okay, this is like he's 18, and I, who knows what this might be. But really, really? Can't you do better than this? It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. The 2 o'clock hour of the Friday show. We do not go gently into the good weekend. If you fly Southwest Airlines, Southwest Airlines has an interesting way of, of boarding. What what happens is you, you get, they have A, B, and C boarders. And you, on your, when you sign up on your boarding pass, it tells you where you are. Are you in the A group? And then you line up, A1 through 30 on one side, A31 through 60 on the other. And all the people in the A group get to board first, and then you've got the B group, and then you've got the C group. And you get on, and you get to pick whatever seat that you want. One of the things is, if you care about that, you can pay a little bit extra. I think it's 15, it might be 15 or it might be $25 a, a, a leg. And you can you can get what they call early bird seating, which is by paying extra. You don't guarantee a particular seat, but you guarantee that, for example, you'll be in the A group. So you'll be one of the, the first 60 or something like that. But you have to pay a little bit extra <clears throat> to do that. I like the way Southwest does it. And I fly a lot of Southwest. The other thing that Southwest does is that if you are a family flying with small children, and I don't know if they have an age limit or this, on this or not, Eric, you six. Eric Bilsett says it's six. Okay, so if you're flying with children six and younger, what you can do is you can get on the plane early. You get on the plane before they start the general boarding. So it's, for example, if you have somebody with a disability, they can get on first before they even start the A group boarding. And if you're a family traveling with small children, you can get on first. So you can pick your seats and you can sit all together, which is clearly an advantage. But that's somewhat unique to Southwest. Other airlines, well, th- what they are, what a number of other airlines are doing, and for example, this applies to United, it applies to Delta, it applies to American. When you sign up to buy your ticket, when you, let's say you go online, you buy your ticket, just buying the ticket 
does not guarantee you <clears throat> uh, does not guarantee you a specific seat. What happens is, if you want a particular seat, you you can pick your seat assignment, and you can do this. And you can do it through a travel agent. But you can also do it on on the web. You go there. You pick a particular seat. I, I want to. I like to sit on aisles. Okay, I'm I'm relatively big and I'm tall. And if I'm going to be on a flight, I, I like to have the aisles so I can kind of stretch out a little bit. But let's and I like to be towards the front of the plane. Those are two things I like. Well, that that's fine. When you book your seat on Delta or on American or United, you you can book it and you can choose your particular seat. But you have to pay extra for it. I mean, there is an extra charge. If you decide you're not going to pick it, you don't want to do that. You just you just get a seat, all right? Well, when you show up, you'll get a seat assignment, but it's not going to be guaranteed anywhere, and it's probably not going to be a great one. The really the better the better seats, the aisle seats, etc., the window seats, they're they're going to be gone first. And if you are traveling with someone, and you you know you want to fly together, now my wife and I. Call us crazy lovebirds, but we like to sit next to each other or sit across the aisle from each other or whatever, you know, when we're traveling. So when I'm booking flights for us, you know, I, I get two seats, you know, next to each other, uh, just depending on the layout of, of the plane. And I pay a little bit extra for it, but I know I'm paying a little bit extra. On the other hand, I don't know, sometimes if if I'm traveling with my brother, and I love my brother dearly, but... I don't know. It's is it the end of the world if we sit next to each other on the flight out there? No, you know we'll 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 get to Vegas and we'll have plenty of time together. So sometimes we're able to sit next to each other, other times not necessarily. But but what if you're in a situation where you're not on Southwest, but you're traveling with those small children? Well, th- this issue has come up because there's pressure being brought on the FAA. Number of people are saying to the FAA and to the Department of Transportation, you need to change the rules and airlines need to be required, required to reserve seats together for families traveling with small children. So, for example, let's say you're flying on Frontier or Delta or whatever, and you decide and you've got it's you and your spouse and your three kids one who's eight, one who's six, and, you know, one who's four, all right? If you don't reserve those seats ahead of time and pay the extra money, there's not necessarily any guarantee that you're going to be sitting together, and you could be spread out throughout the back of the the plane. There is a move afoot now to try to have federal rules come out and say that the airlines cannot separate families, Right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, the way you avoid this is you, you pay for the seat assignment. You know, we're, you know, it's, it's my wife and I and it's the four kids. We're going to take, you know, an entire row, but that adds money. That adds money to the cost of, of the trip. Should airlines be required to keep families together? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but what do you think? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 213, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big story about this in today's Wall Street Journal. They, they call it separation anxiety. More and more airlines are making it more and more difficult for families to fly together unless 
they're willing to pay extra to reserve seats. Now, United Airlines, which, of course, is just huge, um, what they're going to be doing is they are now reserving more seats for corporate customers and requiring fees for many of the regular legroom seats. So if you are traveling with a family and you want to be guaranteed that the family sits together, well, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pay extra. And some people are saying, oh, we shouldn't have to do this. The airline should have an obligation to seat families together. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, here's a text from Jamie. You know what? If someone in a plane doesn't want to accommodate me by moving so I can sit with my kids, then so be it. Let them sit for three hours with my seven-year-old. Are we here yet? Um, but seriously, of course, patrons should be able to sit with their kids without a hassle. Well, I respectfully disagree to an extent. All right, if I, again, if I am willing to pay for that aisle seat, I want to be in row six, and I'm willing to pay to be on on the aisle, and that's the program that the airline has, that's what they're going to sell, why shouldn't I be able to get my seat? Now, again, a lot of times it, it doesn't matter, and I think a lot of times... You know, all things being equal, I have been asked, for example, if it's been in a situation where you have a husband and a wife and a small child that are getting on a plane and they want to sit in the row I'm in and there's the vacant seat or one of their seats is on the aisle a row ahead or a row behind, I have no problem changing at all. And I think most people don't. And if a flight attendant or the person asks you, they'll accommodate you. But at the same time, if you're the person that's willing to pay to reserve that particular seat, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, and I don't think that just because somebody's traveling with children, they should automatically get the right to bump you out of that seat, because for some people, they are particular about where they want to sit. Now, I am also sympathetic to the argument that, well, do you really want to get into a situation where you're going to, I don't know, you're, you want to sit next to somebody else's kid? Well, well, no, but I, I think that's all, candidly, the responsibility of, of the parents, and I think this idea that, gee, well, because we're traveling with children, we should automatically get some sort of preference. Now, I understand the way Southwest works, and I have no problem with that. Southwest allows people traveling with children to get on first so they can all pick their seats and they can sit together, and that's fine. That's what the rules are. But if airlines are going to start charging for seats, which you, know, you can argue whether they should do it or not, but that's what the policy is, I don't think the federal government needs to be making rules telling them that, all right, you can do that. You can charge everybody else, but we're going to give a priority, and it's not going to apply to families that are traveling with children. What you need to say then is that the families that are traveling with children, well, they have to make the same arrangements that everybody else does, which is you know, when you are booking the flight, do whatever you got to take to reserve the seats together if, in fact, you want to sit together. I don't think that is unreasonable, at least the way it stands right now. The Department of Transportation doesn't appear to be making changes, but there are these family advocates that are pushing for that. My simple answer is, if you want to sit together... Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Wheel of Wisconsin Tour makes its ways to seven seas in Heartland. John McCure shares the sights, the sounds, and the stories beginning at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Gru, who's producing the show today. When you think about Willie Nelson, what do you think about? You say country music. I mean, I, I, I certainly think of, you know, Willie as kind of the outlaw country guy. I think of Willie as being sort of a 
aging hippie. You know, I think that, you know, the, the long hair, the bandana and stuff, you know, you think about Willie. I mean, Willie's been Willie's been smoking dope. He's 80-some years old. He's been smoking dope for probably ever. You know, I mean, I, I think of, in other, other words, I, I'm not surprised to learn that Willie Nelson is not a conservative Republican. I, I don't think that that's necessarily a, a shock. Willie Nelson... Well, I mean, he's he's done things. He tells stories about how President Carter, Jimmy Carter, back in 80, invited him to perform at the White House, and he brags about he, he went up on the roof and was smoking pot. You know, it, it, okay, so that that's that's Willie. You know, he's he's very out there on a number of different social issues, and, you know, he, I, I, he's, over the years, he's supported Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton. All right, it's not a surprise. He's, he's a lefty. That's okay doesn't change the fact that I like his music. Well, Willie now finds himself in the midst of a political controversy. There is a heated race in Texas for the U.S. Senate seat of Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is being challenged by a guy named Beto. I think is how you pronounce his name. It's Beto. Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke um, and Willie Nelson are or have become pals. Apparently what happened is Willie has this Fourth of July picnic everywhere where they... They, you know, play songs and stuff like that. And at the stage on stage this year, Willie invited Beto to come out and he went and he came and gave like a little political speech to the crowd, probably none of whom remembered any of it after the thing ended. But, you know, nevertheless, you know, he got the uh, attention that was there. And then, you know, what happened is, you know, Willie has gone on to say that how he's going to be um, headlining a September 29th rally for this Beto O'Rourke in Austin. This is the first public concert that Willie has ever held for a political candidate. So I mean, he supported political candidates. He's gave given money. My guess is he's probably performed in, in private sort of things. But this is the first public concert that he's going to do. And a number of his fans have... Well, they haven't taken to this very well. Um, on his Facebook page, these are some of the comments. Goodbye, Willie. I don't support socialist commies. You're not going to advertise on my Facebook page everywhere, anywhere. Open your eyes, Willie. Beto is a socialist who's probably lied to you. This is a real shame you support him. Another person writes, wow, what a letdown. You would pick a socialist agenda and an anti-American fellow like Beto. Shame on you. Another guy writes, I am no longer willing to watch that hippie guitarist whom supports socialists running for Senate. Somebody else says, um, I'm going to tear up my tickets. All right. Well, of course, my only comment would be tearing up a ticket that you've already bought to a show is probably, well, that's not going to necessarily hurt the performer. But anyhow, it, this, this is the story that you have that this backlash of people who are now kind of discovering, I guess, the G. You know, Willie, Willie is a lefty. All right, we only got a couple minutes, but I do want to open up the phone lines. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would the political views of a performer, would the fact... Now, see, I, I think there's a couple different things. It's one thing when you go to one of these shows, and instead of 20 songs... You get 16 songs, and then you get 15 minutes of kind of political commentary. But would the fact that your favorite performer or somebody you like is headlining at a concert for somebody with different politics than yours, would that in and of itself, I don't know, make you stop listening to the performer's work? 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I think about this because, as I think you probably know, I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. Jimmy Buffett is a lefty. No question about it. Jimmy Buffett plays these private concerts in, you know, uh, in New York and stuff in the Hamptons to raise money for Hillary Clinton. And that's all well and good. But he doesn't bring his politics to the, the shows. I mean, the day he brings his politics to his live concerts, that's the day that I stop going to him. But that, that's not what he's about. I don't mind what his politics are, and I don't mind the fact that in his own time he does this stuff, as long as in his shows he's not thro- throwing it down my throat. In the case of Willie Nelson, I mean, if Willie wants to go and, and perform at a fundraiser for a candidate, and everybody knows it's the fundraiser for the candidate, I guess I don't see why people are upset about that. That's what people's politics are. If you buy a ticket to a show and you're expecting a show, and then all of a sudden you, you find out, well, it's really not a show, this is all this political stuff, I get why people might have a beef there. But I, I'm honestly trying to figure out that this entire debate because no secret to me that Willie Nelson is a huge lefty. I, I understand it. That's fine. And if he wants to headline a concert that is billed as a fundraiser for a lefty candidate, that doesn't surprise me and it doesn't bother me as long as everybody knows what it is going in. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and I, I mean, the reality is, I mean, Willie Nelson is perhaps a little bit unique in country music for a lot of reasons, but I mean, he's... Typically, country. if you're going to try to find one area where performers are, in general, conservative, and I understand that you've got exceptions, the Dixie Chicks and things like that, you know, it would be country music. But, I, again, I'm not going to not listen to somebody simply because their politics are different than mine. Here's a text. I love Willie Nelson, even though I don't agree with him politically. I'll still listen to him, and I will watch his movies. Another text. I can separate the art from the artist's views. For example, I love a lot of Ted Nugent songs, but as a human being, I can't stand him. Okay, well, I think that's, you know, um, I think that that's fair enough as well. But, you know, the bottom line is you have to be able to make that separation. Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I totally agree with you, Jeff. And actually, Jimmy Buffett was on Andy Cohen. And um, Andy Cohen's a huge liberal. And I still watch him because he's funny and just, you know, He's not irreverent when it comes to his remarks. Jimmy Buffett did not discuss politics the whole evening. And Andy yeah. Cohen, he sang his songs. He yeah. flirted with the bartender. He had Jimmy sing, or he had uh, Andy singing with him. There was nothing political about the entire show, and it was lovely. Yeah, well, and 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 Buffett's really, I mean, Buffett's really clear. He's kind of like Michael Jordan said. He said, "Hey, Republicans buy my tennis shoes too." Yeah. Buffett knows who his audience is, and I mean, I, I think he respects his audience. And and, and look, and, and I respect his political views. And like I say, if, if Willie Nelson wants to have what is billed as a fundraiser for this guy, that's cool with me. If Jimmy Buffett wants to play a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton in the Hamptons, that that's fine. Absolutely, just leave it off the stage. Exactly right. Th- thanks for the call. That and to me, that is what the difference is. So in any event, Willie's getting all sorts of heat for this, and far be it for me to go to bat for a reprobate, aging hippie, pot smoker. But I like Willie Nelson, and if Willie Nelson wants to support Beto, okay, more, more power to him. When we come back, we've got a fun pop culture corner for this week. Stick around. 
It's 2.37, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is the portion of the week where we put aside the heavy lifting. We, And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we are going to start focusing with a more in a more laser-like fashion on on some of the political issues. Big election coming up, of course. Um, you've got you know, Congress, which is going to be in play. There's a couple contested seats around here. Democrats are trying desperately to flip the Paul Ryan seat. You've got people who are going after Glenn Grothman. Um, some contested races. We're going to talk about those. Also, of course, you've got the governor's race. And, and candidly, it, it's starting to get a little bit nasty. Um, some of the, well, um, Mandela Barnes, who's the lieutenant governor candidate, he's the loose cannon. I mean, he's just kind of rolling around the deck. Um, he is, if you think President Trump is a Democrat, if you think he is a, a loose cannon, you, you should really see what's going on in Wisconsin and some of the statements that are being made here. And, and we're going to be focusing on on that. Um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting race. The Democrats have once again nominated kind of a cipher. I don't know that there's too many people who are going to be voting for Tony Evers. There's really no reason to vote for Tony Evers. The question is going to be, you know, can the people, the We Hate Scott Walker forces, mobilize enough people to go out and vote? And that's going to be very interesting. Like I say, we're going to be talking about that quite a bit over the course of the next several weeks leading up to the election in early November. But right now, though, we put aside the heavy lifting and we, we have a little bit of fun going into the weekend. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we take walks back memory lane. Sometimes I don't remember. Lane. Sometimes we talk about you know, current things that we enjoy. We talk about movies. We talk about TV. We talk about books. We talk about travel, all sorts of different things. Today's pop culture corner topic comes from the world of sports. This is, if you are a sports fan, this is an amazing time. And especially if you're a Wisconsin sports fan, but I digress. You have, you know, the Brewers who are in the heart, the thick of the playoff race. Um, there's a, what, like two week, 14 games or something like that left. So you've got meaningful playoff baseball that is being played on a nightly basis. You've got the Packers season, the regular season, which is underway. Big game this weekend up at Lambeau Field, the Packers and the Vikings. If the Packers are going to get back to the Super Bowl, they got to figure out a way to beat the Vikings. And that all starts on, on Sunday. So you've got football, you've got basketball, you've got basketball that, that's coming. Um, Marquette kicks off its season, I think, in early November. The Bucks have their exhibition games, I think, starting in um, starting in, in late October. So you've got professional basketball. I'm not a hockey guy, but you've got hockey that's getting ready to kick off as well. It, it's an amazing, it's an amazing sports thing. And one of the things that I love about sports in general, professional sports in particular, is the fact that when you go to a game, you never ever know exactly what you're going to see. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to a football game or, or going to a baseball game. And I go to a lot of baseball games. And and you just, you say, boy, I've been going to games my entire life, and, and that was an incredible play, or that was an incredible player. It, it's just, that's the fun of sports, because you just, it's not predictable. You never know exactly what is going to happen. And it's one of the great things about going to sporting events because you just never know when you're going to see an athlete that you go, wow, I can't believe this person did that. So we're going to have a pop culture corner from the world of sports. Here is my question. I don't care what, I don't care what the sport is. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, doesn't matter. Horse racing, auto racing, whatever. Who is the best athlete that you ever saw play? Who, who's just the best athlete? And, and I do, 
I do want to make this personal. You, you had to see the athlete, you know, and it's um, not just you've heard about it, but, you know, who's the best athlete that you ever saw play? You know, you go to that baseball game and you go, my gosh, th- this guy, this person or this gal is something special. The best athlete that you ever saw play. And again, it could be football. It could be basketball. It could be baseball. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And you can define best however you want. I mean, that that's part of the fun of this. Also, when we do these segments, I always advise people, number one, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. And, and number two, you know, don't don't overthink it. Let's have some fun. It's going to be a big sports weekend, and we'll do Pop Culture Corner, sports-related leading into that. The best athlete you ever saw play, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's Pop Culture Corner, the best athlete you ever saw play in person. And that's, that, that is the caveat to it. Had to have seen him play in person. Number of people are saying Michael Jordan. I saw Michael Jordan in his prime as well, and he was just amazing. Mitch says, uh, Walter Payton, um, incredible talent and a huge heart. 414-799-1620. Linda in Racine. Linda, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, greatest ball player I ever saw, and I saw him a lot, was Willie Mays. I never got a chance to see Willie Mays in person before my time. He was the best all-round ball player I ever saw. Top five home runs, top five hits, top five stolen bases, uh, 15 years on all-star teams when the players picked him, golden gloves, you know, like forever. The man was incredible. Just amazing. No, such a nice guy. Really? Okay. I, mean, I, saw him, I saw him jump up a fence. <laughs> anyway, he, no. he was amazing. No, thanks. Well, Willie Mays is de- I mean, there, there were a generation of players. As a matter of fact, we'll probably get to a couple of, of those. I mean, you know, Willie Mays was there. Um, Jim in Sheboygan. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, happy to be on, Jeff. Uh, thanks for calling. Okay, the best player you ever saw. Uh, 1956, I saw Henry Aaron mm-hmm. play for the Milwaukee Braves in right field. Uh, uh, Richie Ashburn opened in center field for the Phillies, but uh, Henry Aaron was something else. The fans loved him, and he was young at that time. He was just tremendous in every aspect of the game. Uh, he could run, catch, throw, and, of course, he hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember I had a chance to see Aaron play, but it was it was towards the latter part of his career. I, I never saw, like, I, I saw Mickey Mantle play as a young kid, but it was also towards the latter part of his career when, you know, injuries and age had caught up with him. Never never saw him at, at the height. No, thanks for calling, but, you know, if you're talking baseball, you're talking living legends, living legends there. George in Milwaukee. George, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? I'm picking Larry Bird. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, watching his reels all the time. I can never stop watching him. He was so powerful. He was not a strong guy, but he was so smart. He would actually tell people exactly what he was going to do, and he would do it. Mm-hmm. He's also, I mean, Larry Bird was one of those guys, too, that I, he, I don't necessarily think he was the most talented player, but he, he just worked so incredibly hard, and he was so mentally tough, and, and he just he, he raised the game to an art form, and he was just a tremendous player for the Boston Celtics, tremendous. Yeah, he actually played one game totally left-handed. Really? Shooting three. Yeah. yeah There's you know, nobody that knows who could even come close to doing that. So it's more than just being uh, physically strong. This guy was in, uh, was incredible. Right. Thanks for calling. You know, it's, it's interesting. I remember, I mean, I remember 
Bird in his heyday when he used to give the Bucks all sorts of fits. I also remember, again, towards the end of his career, I remember for some reason I was in Indianapolis, and I, I was with a bunch of friends, and we ended up, Maybe we're there for work. I forget why we were in Indianapolis, but we got playoff tickets and where where Larry Bird was playing it was the Indiana Pacers, it was the playoffs, and he was his back was bad and I can remember we were sitting kind of behind the Celtics bench and he during timeouts and stuff, he would just kind of like lay on his back on the on the back of the floor because he but but he still, you know, he would go in and he would play hard. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sue in Waterford. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Okay, best athlete you ever saw in person? Ray Nitschke. Ray Nitschke. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, your cell phone was kind of cutting out there. Ray Nitschke, um, I tell you, one of one of the true Packer greats. I'm. Uh, we're, we're not doing Facebook Live today, but I'm. I happen to be wearing my Jerry Kramer Hall of Fame jersey here. But uh, you know, you you that's 64. You see a lot of the jerseys. I if you go to Lambeau Field this Sunday, you will see a lot of Ray Nitschke jerseys. Uh, people still remember four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I'm saying Robin Yount. Okay, tell me why. Well, because. He was always, I mean, as a kid, you know, he was always, he was, he was mm-hmm. always there. He was always right. the, the player. And I was, I was at the game with the, the diving catch for the no hitter for Juan Nieves. Really? So, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, I was like 10 or 12 years old and it was just, it was just awesome. Yeah. And so he was part of the 82 crew that broke my heart from St. Louis. Right. So, so I still got to right. go with Robin. You know, no, Robin, you know, just just an amazing player. Thank you know, he, and and he of course was the player for a lot of our lifetimes. I mean, I remember, I remember the year he came up. I remember going to some of the ball games and sitting in the upper deck at uh, Old County Stadium when Robin Yount was just coming up. And of course, he you know he played shortstop in the beginning, and then they moved him to the outfield. And if you want to talk about the greatest Brewers player ever. I think it's a very, very short list, and, and Robin Yount probably is on the top of that. 414-799-1620, Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, nice to talk to you again. I uh, I think uh, the best athlete I've ever seen here in Chicago was Johnny Bench. I was a Reds fan back in the 70s, and I used to go and see him play at Wrigley Field, and the guy was just a fabulous, fabulous catcher. I mean, the home runs he used to hit were just so high and towering, they bring rain down. He won the MVP in 1977 against the Yankees in the World Series, and uh, just the best all-around catcher ever to play. I still think he's the greatest catcher to play the game. I mean, defensively, he had no peers, and he, the guy was just a great, great player. And uh, numerous times I'd go and watch him at Wrigley Field, and he never disappointed me. Okay, are you a Cubs fan? No, I hate the Cubs. Oh, okay. Are you, are you a Sox fan? No, I'm a diehard Packers fan. Oh, okay, all right. There, there. You know, John, it's interesting. You thanks for call, Mike. It's interesting you should say Johnny Bench because I have at least three texts that say Johnny Bench as, as well. Of course, the great catcher for the Cincinnati Reds during the big Red Machine years. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was a catcher that could do it. What a tough position! What a tough position to play. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jim in Naples, Florida. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thank you, Jeff. Hey Jim, you know it's seventy-five degrees here, and it's, today's a nice day at least in Milwaukee. Well, it's it's fairly hot where I am, and really humid. <laughs> at any rate, I'm responding to your question: Who's the best athlete? Not necessarily the best player, right? There's a distinction there. I pick Michael Jordan. The reason I do is he's he was incredible in the clutch, and that's 
a distinction with the six yep. the six championships the Bulls. That's a distinction I think really makes a difference between outstanding players and athletes. Right, he delivered at the most important times. Yeah, and you know he was a guy that that also made the people around him better. I mean, I, I think he elevated. I think he elevated the the abilities and the way that a lot of those other people played. I mean, Michael Jordan was special. Well, you're right. In fact, I don't remember names, but the Bulls never really had a center. And they played in the days when centers were an important part of the offense. But he right. made everything work. And, of course, in the clutch, yeah, nobody could stop him. Got it. So thanks, that, that would be my vote. No, and thanks. it's tough to argue about Michael Jordan. Um, a couple people, uh, a couple texts saying Tiger Woods. And I, I think... You know, Tiger Woods in in his prime. Uh, I don't know that. I mean, I can remember seeing Tiger Woods in, in person a couple times when he was playing tournaments around here. Um, Tiger Woods in his prime. I mean, I I don't know that there's been an athlete, and yes, I consider golfers to be athletes who was was more dominant for a period of time than Tiger Woods. I mean, the the problem is, you know, age and injuries catch up to everybody. Let's talk to John in Wauwatosa. Hi, John. Uh Joe. Oh, I'm hi, Joe. Uh, Bonnie Blair. Oh, going local here. Bonnie Blair, you want to talk? Bonnie Blair, well, you said local in person, and uh, I was a speed skater, and she was one tough cookie. She would train as hard as Dan Jansen and Chris Shank and the boys, and she would skate with them, practice with them, dry land train. She was an animal. So you got to see her, I mean, in in the training and stuff. So you 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 were there a lot of times she was training and things like that, huh? Yes, sir. Wow. In, uh, thanks for calling. There's no question. Again, people, and, and you know, we've been talking a lot about professional athlete, athletes, but then you've got the amateur athletes, the, these Olympians, just incredible things that they were able to do. All right, I'm sorry. I wish we had a little more time, but we're kind of, let's see, Sandy Koufax. I saw Sandy Koufax pitch his, his last year. I was a kid. Ted Williams, a little before my time, but he was special. Pele, let's see, Dave wanted to say Pele. A lot of others as well. Reggie White. Reggie White was an amazing player as well. Walter Payton, Walter Payton, Walter Payton, a lot of great ones. Um, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers might find himself on this list at some point in time. All right, let's take a very quick break. When we find out, when we come back, I know John McCure and Melissa are on the road. We'll find out where they are, and we'll find out what they've got coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 255. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.